Sona, this was a very nice day today. It was. Because uh, over here at our headquarters, we got this great gift, Tillamook ice cream. I'm a monster for ice cream. I know you are too. I want to take a bath in it and then I want to eat eat the ice in the eat the bath. Wait, what? I want to like bathe in it, yeah. but then I want to eat it as I'm bathing yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's a simple concept. You made it much more complicated. I know, I'm sorry. Fill a bathtub with Tillamook ice cream. I will get in it and then I will eat my way out. Yes, that's all okay, you need to there do. There you go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have so many great it's such good ice cream and they have so many great flavors. I mean, just off the top of my head, I I don't know. Birthday cake, caramel swirl, banana split, caramel toffee crunch, chocolate chip, chocolate, chocolate chip cookie dough. I think there's butter pecan, cookies and cream, French vanilla, chocolate peanut butter. Malted moose shake, I think, is one. I can't remember too well. Mounted huckleberry, Tillamook mudslide, Marionberry pie, monster cookie, old-fashioned vanilla, Rocky Road, Oregon dark cherry, waffle cone swirl, peppermint bark. I'm, I don't, I'm just going off memory here, but <laughs> holiday sugar cookie, orange and cream. Anyway, so many great flavors and uh, just incredible. You know, they they really put, and they come in family-sized cartons. Mm. Also, you're in good hands with the Tillamook brand. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. I'm going to spell it for you. That's how much I care about this product. T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Hi, my name is John Mullaney. And I feel falsely modest about being Conan O'Brien's friend. What, what do you mean? Oh, I can't believe you'd have me on. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh, man. I can't believe you'd have me. You know, but it, it's, <laughs> it makes absolute sense that I'm here. It makes total sense. Fall is here. Hear the yell. Back to school. Ring the bell. Brand new shoes. Walk in blues. Climb the fence. Books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hello, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, little podcast, brings me much joy, having a lot of fun with this, and uh, joined as always by my trusty crew, I've got Sona Movsesian here. Sona, you seemed, you were very upset because as we walked into the studio, there was a little piece of wire coming off the wall. Why are there wires coming out of the wall? Well, it's this, we are... We do the podcast uh, mostly out of our Warner Brothers studio. This is an old studio from the 1920s, 1930s. Yeah. And so the walls are covered with chicken wire that are, that are holding in, um, you know, uh, some kind of material from a pre-World War II material, probably toxic, yeah. that yeah. keeps out noise. Yeah, And so stupid. a little piece of chicken wire was sticking out and you caught your sweater on it and you were 
infuriated. Ang- so pissed. And you were yelling, F the wall, F the wall. Yeah, I, and, that's what I was saying. Yeah, well, you were actually saying the word. Yeah, yeah, I didn't and, say F. No. I said fuck. Yes, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. You were enraged. Is that a, a, a like a fancy sweater? It's not even fancy. It's just why, why would the wall get stuck on my sweater? Why would the wall? You're you're angry at the wall. Yes, I'm angry. Why don't you? I'm angry. There's weird. First of all, first of all, you know I what don't I do? Like your, I don't like the way you're excusing this. No, no, no. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying what I like to do is leave a little distance between myself and a wall. I don't slide along a wall as I walk. I leave a little bit of distance. Let's have Matt Gorley, our uh, trusty producer, weigh in. Sona, don't you think that you were a little close to the wall? Oh, it's my fault. I'm asking you. There is chicken wire sticking out of the wall, yes, and it's is, my fault. You should is, fix it. You've I been should, here for over, almost 10 years. You should fix it. I think it's not incumbent on me to fix it. Uh, whoever made this studio, I think, did an amazing job. Incredible uh, films have been made, including in, in this Goonies. Goonies <laughs> was made in our studio. What? Yes, Goonies was made in the studio. Like the pirate I, ship? What do you mean? As there's, do you think there's <laughs> a no, no? I'm talking about the 1925 Goonies with Sir Lawrence Wait, Olivier. What? The pirate what the, ship in Goonies. Yes. That whatever was in Goonies studio? is there. No, I, I was just wondering if this is good. God, first of all, I'm You're sorry. Coming in hot. No, I'm saying that Sona is guilty <laughs> of. No, I'm with Sona. Sona, no. the wall, and especially Thank in a you. national context. No. Thank you. Yes. Sona walked way too close to the wall. She was wall <laughs> oh sliding, God. wall walking, and you, sir, <laughs> to wonder what other Goonies there are uh, is absurd to me. It's a level of absurdity that I find uh, nauseating. Wait, there's I, only one Goonies. I didn't wonder if there's another Goonies. I was wondering if this was the soundstage that the big pirate yes. ship was yes, in. Yes, the pirate ship was in here. My God. Is no, I'm cool? sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the pirate ship was here. Okay. Uh, Cinematic history wow. in this stage. Yeah, yeah. I and disagree. I can't Chester stand that movie. Co- what's, his, what's his name? W- Willie Chester Cobblepot? That's the penguin. Yeah. What's the pirate in Goonies? <laughs> I'll cut this. What? One-Eyed what Willie. One-Eyed Willie. Yeah. yeah. One-Eyed Willie. Where did you get Chester Cobblepot? That's Penguin's name. Yeah, in the Batman. Yeah, movie. I don't know. I don't know where I got that. <laughs> okay, that now you're here. Yeah. You're here to help us, right? It, well, is your job to help? You can Blaising, make an argument against that. Blaze saying yeah. they also shot Batman here. Was it Batman Forever though? Which is my favorite Batman. That, that's the one. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> I think, it, I think it was Batman Returns, which had... That's which the had, one with the penguin. I think so. Oh, so, boy, I really knew what I was talking about. Oh, that's my favorite Batman. Yeah. But you know what? Sorry. They also shot here. What? The Conan Show. What's that now? Um, maybe the greatest... I always go to sleep when I become pompous. It puts me to sleep. <laughs> you must sleep a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. You got me. But guess what? My shirt is intact. Okay. You look like a hobo right now. Your sweater's all coming apart. It's going to be a problem when someone's walking up this stage and their their shirt gets stuck. And then you're going to be like, we need to fix it. What? Yeah. That's if, your impression of me? Yeah. I'm if, Frank Stallone? <laughs> because it's me, you don't care. But when a podcast guest walks up here and gets stuck in that chicken wire, you're going to be like, we got to fix it. That's uh, what you're going to so do. I'll be like, we got to fix it. <laughs> Kev. We can't have Zach Braff getting stuck in wire. <laughs> it's not good for Zach Braff. Oh, my God. Is that how I sound? If Frank Stallone had a stroke. <laughs> you were the one that was just muttering cobblepot for no reason when we were talking about Goonies. So it's you, sir, that has the cerebral occlusion, if anyone. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, maybe I did come in a little hot you today. Did. You I, really did. Well, I, I, I apologize. I think... Uh, 
I, I just... Everything think, okay? Well, you know, it's raining today. Isn't that great? In Los Angeles, which yeah. never happens, which I love. I love. But everyone else gets really tense. People yeah. that have grown up in LA act like they're made of sugar. And they shriek and cover themselves. I love it. I was, because, yeah, we were both raised here. I yeah. love having some semblance of the seasons. Yeah. I hate it. Oh, oh, yeah, you don't like it. And then you got your sweater caught. Because we're wall sliding. What is wall? Stop saying wall sliding. Hey, like you're that's the, a thing that You're the one that invented it. And <laughs> apparently you're very good at it. Wall slider. Oh, good one. Yeah. You really got me with that one. Yeah, and you got me with that dead-on impression. That path gets caught in the wire. What do we all do? Oh, it's Sloth from Goonies. <laughs> all right. It all comes Baby full circle. Uh, Goonies uh, doesn't hold up. Trust me. <laughs> yes, it does. No. Yep. Please. It I've sure reread does. that screenplay many times. It does. Um, this you is look a at it generational on. divide where people fall on Goonies. It is. People yeah. divide. Listen, if you're out there listening, uh, and you probably are if you're hearing this right now, um, just, you know, sometimes if a podcast falls in the woods and a bear isn't there to shit on it. Was the Pope on the podcast? One of my favorite old sayings. Anyway, Goonies generational divide. If you love it, then you're a certain age or younger. And if you uh, are suspicious of it, like me, it means you're close to death. Here we go. Let's get into it because we got a great show today. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'm thrilled that uh, this gentleman's here. He is an absolutely hilarious comedian uh, who wrote for Saturday Night Live, helped create the iconic character Stefan. He's appeared on Broadway alongside Nick Kroll in Oh Hello and won an Emmy for his latest stand-up special, Kid Gorgeous. I went and saw uh, that show live and was filled with joy and insane envy at this man's talent. Uh, Please welcome uh, just the absolutely brilliant, very funny... John Mulaney. You and I have hung out together. We've broken bread. Yeah. We have. Uh, Literally a baguette over your knee when you chased me through the streets of Lyon. <laughs> Remember that? I do. We were in love with the same girl. Oh, yes. Francesca. Yeah, that's a good French name. I don't know. I tried to yes and, <laughs> and uh, I really shouldn't do improv. I've been asked by the improv community not to improvise. Oh, you were asked by a message board run by Matt Besser to... <laughs> <laughs> that used to be. Is that a thing still? I, I don't know. know. There always feels like there's an improv police somewhere monitoring us. Uh, so nice to talk to you because we have we have many things to discuss. I really yeah. do believe we have many things to discuss. I know. I've I've been looking forward to this uh, very much because I've listened to almost every episode of the podcast and have thought about what I would say if I was in the person's shoes I'm listening to, mm-hmm. and then I, I think about how a real good answer, and I'm sure today I will forget all of them. And right. be inarticulate and skippable. You, uh, no one's skipping this one. Uh, there's some I'm sure that you've skipped. You said you've listened to most of them, which uh, leads this detective to believe that there were some guests that you saw and you skipped over. We it was go- not for any reason other than- Hatred? No, no. I, I, I had no political agenda. I've just skipped one. Oh. And it's it's someone I greatly admire. Oh, okay. Former First Lady Michelle Obama. Oh, you skipped that one. I didn't skip it. I haven't listened yet. You haven't listened say. to it yet. Yeah. All right. I listened to every other one but it. Right. I'm just going to put it out there in the press that you've listened to all the Conan O'Brien Mulaney episodes, refuses to hear refu- out. <laughs> refuses to hear the former First Lady Michelle Obama. That's just the one I, I just gotten. want that out there. Okay. And uh, let's hope that gets picked up. I, got, uh, I went on a binge of the Dana Carvey ones, and then I turned my back on the Obama administration. You did, as yeah. many people have. Yeah. 
We're going to move on from that because, you know, you never know. People might be listening going, hey, are they serious? That's my a character I'm working on. Oh, don't. Yeah, that's a good character. Yeah. Hey, are they serious? People are so dumb and talk like Rocky. You're saying there are very muscle-bound guys walking around that are saying, Adrian. Nin- and they don't even 1970s know. 1970s muscle-bound, which yes. means still having kind of a gut and like drinking eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Something people turned their back on a long time ago. Yeah. Here's why we need to talk. I sense that we are made of similar stuff. Not the same stuff, but similar stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Both steeped in Catholicism. Like when you first showed up on the scene, and this is a compliment, and I've talked to other comedians about you, and all of us are blown away by the fact that you showed up seemingly fully formed. That's the take on you. That's a great take, and I print it. I like it. Yeah. And, uh... I definitely have had one speed since I was about four, and uh, it's the speed you see and hear uh, when I'm on stage. Uh-huh. I would say the um, incubating years might be uh, thankfully overlooked in that in that right. Uh, uh, People don't see there was a period. No, of time no, there was there. a period of like um, not awkwardness. No, wait, awkwardness, but also like uh, maybe a personality crisis oh. in the beginning. Right. Because I thought like, well, you have to have a thing and I don't have anything. I have no uh, characteristic. I'm not a big fat guy. I don't have uh, a Hawaiian shirt. Um, I don't look like I'm stoned. Uh, I I had no opening joke. Right. right. A lot of people can get up and go, you're probably thinking who let the stoner in. And then, I mean, they're They get that laugh right away. Absolutely killed. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, And the problem is... It's a long way to go to just get that opening joke. Like, they're probably very thin, healthy people that went out of their way to get fat just so they could get up on stage and go, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, Dom Who, DeLuise dyed his hair blonde. Yeah, and then ate a million donuts, and they get a laugh, yeah. but they've shortened their lives by 50 years. Yeah, now you're a big, fat, blonde guy who doesn't even look like <laughs> Dom DeLuise, but since the audience knows Dom DeLuise was portly, it's like, okay, fine. It's, uh, yeah. Or anyone who wore glasses would say, I know what you're thinking, blank, had sex with Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as if as if the only person to ever need spectacles was, was the it? fictional character Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> he was, to be fair, the first person ever to wear glasses. He was the first. Uh, I believe that was before then. The Motion Picture Board would censor that. Yeah, <laughs> had, people would go into another room if they were going to wear glasses. Here's the thing: what I can relate to in a number of ways, uh, and we can start in any one of them. One is that. One of the ways I relate to you is that you feel like you are out of time, like you don't belong to this era somehow. I mean, you do, hence your crazy popularity, but you seem like a guy who would give me a a tip on a racehorse shortly uh, after the First World War. Maybe even from the early 40s, late right. 30s. Who's then 4F during yeah. World War II. You were 4F during World War II. I've always thought about that. I, I thought- Man, I I would have wanted to be 4F, and then everyone would have gone. Right. And I would just be humiliated. Right. And and so, and so I'd be overselling the reason why I'm 4F. Or pretending you did go and then getting caught in the lie. Man, a lot of people must have done that. Yeah. Oh, we had a tough time over there yeah, like fighting it, the Japanese. Hail the Conquering Hero, that Preston Sturgis movie. Yeah. Like, that must have happened constantly. There was sure. no way to check. People right. would show up in a uniform and say, I'm a hero, and then- you know, that everyone would be at the train stop and two girls would kiss him on the cheek. Yeah. What I would have done after the 40s, even if I had not served in World War II, is I would have walked around with a slight limp and said, I don't want to talk about it. Let's just say Iwo Jima was a rough time. One thing I, let me, uh, just one uh, 
potential fix on that plan, I yeah. would wear a purple heart and walk regular. Because if you walk with a limp, eventually you're going to be in a lot of discomfort. God, you did fix that. You saw right through my scheme. So what, give me an era that you grew up in the 50s that was out of time. Would you think you grew up in the 1940s, the 1950s? What's your era that you feel like your family was trapped in? My family was trapped in the 50s. Wow, okay. I was- So even when you're coming of age in the 90s, your family's in the 50s. Yes, uh, we all, or the 50s, even in the 50s, people would have come over for dinner and been like, that place is a little uptight. Uh, wow. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Like my dad, when my dad was home, uh, for dinner, we would all sit at the dinner table and uh, we would start at 7.30 when we, were, when we were little kids and we'd go till nine. Normally he'd have like classical music playing on a stereo. Back then stereos were a big deal and we had big speakers. <laughs> and uh, he'd, he'd be playing classical music and then he would just point to us and go, Chip, who's the composer? And what? Carolyn, name, who, who is this? John, who's the composer? And he would point to us and we'd be like, Mozart? And he'd be like, no. And uh, Chip, he'd be like, Beethoven? He'd be like, no. Yeah, Carolyn, she'd be like, Mozart? He'd be like, no. What? He's the only people we knew were So he's a very educated, great Santini. He's like a- Oh he's a my gosh, a, does he like that movie? He's a bully, who's, How? but it's all like, Buck or- Do you know that my dad still yells, uh, hey, sports fans and attention sports fans to us from the great Santini? No. Yeah. That's crazy that I He showed us that movie as early as he could. See, I maintain that I grew up out of time. My mother, the way she would talk, I mean, she sort of was like a Margaret Dumont from the Marx oh, really? Brothers. Well, just a little bit like, well, I think that's, you know, you know, well, I, and I would, that's why I'm in comedies because I had a mother who was the perfect straight person. Because she yeah. would always say things like, well, I don't like that even fooling. I'd make some kind of joke and just say, well, I don't like that even fooling. Now, I hope that's not the case. Now, you settle down, you. And then she would have oh, these- no. When I, oh, Conan. Yes. When oh, I, my, oh, this won't do. This, this won't just, do. This won't do. And then she would say, when I was being kind of a wise guy or anything, making a smart remark, she'd say, now, you're just being a bold stump. <laughs> now, and bold, what, what's the house like? Victorian? Old? The, uh, the house is It's a Wonderful Life house, meaning it's oh, an old great. house- but needs help. Big ass banister. Uh, kind of a banister, but but uh, yes, a, a banister. But it's a it's a house that constantly needed maintenance in certain parts. Yeah, a leaker. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, very. There's a lot of us, and we're big. So it's uh, and it's not as big as the house, and it's a wonderful life. So we're all slamming into each other all yeah. the time. And and it's um, the opening scene of Caddyshack meets oh, it's a wonderful life. Yes. Yes. Remember we briefly see Danny's family. Yeah. And then we for never a see second, them again. And then they, that barely made the cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember she, she said to one of my sisters once, like, I think just put on makeup and she said, Oh, take that off. You don't want to be a rag on every bush. Oh, no, wow. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. I don't know but what that, that means. Neither, n neither of those words sound complimentary. No. And so what I'm saying is I, I grew up not knowing what the fuck people were talking about. Yeah. And, and then I'd go to school and people are wearing dashikis and they've got afros and, you know, uh, you know, hip hop is getting launched. And I, I felt like one of the monsters. Like I would go home and there was, I lived with this family. <laughs> we had to dress up for baseball games. What? Yeah. My dad was taking us to a baseball game. Uh, and let's say you came down in a t-shirt and jeans, you go, get, get, go put on something appropriate, you know? And he meant like what you would wear to church, basically, like a button-down shirt and khaki pants. And that's what you had to wear to a baseball game. Yeah. Now, in fairness to him, if you watch newsreels from 1904, everyone was dressed up at baseball games. Yes. People used to dress up to go on an airline flight. Yes. And I still 
do, especially when it's international. I do. I wear a tuxedo. You do? I wear a tuxedo on any flight. I will wear a jacket and shirt and have a tie in my backpack because if you're stranded somewhere and the airline has screwed you over, the, the guy in pajamas with a neck pillow around his neck is not making an impression on them. But yep. if you walk up in a suit and go, I need to be in Madrid this instant, uh, they, they might. Yes. I just realized I learned that from my dad. We were uh, we visited New York when I was 13 for the first time. And we went to NYU campus, to mm-hmm. NYU Law School campus, where there were the uh, uh, archived papers of a Judge Edward Weinfeld, who my dad used to clerk for. And Judge Weinfeld is a, was his mentor, and the only photo in his office he has is of Judge Weinfeld. There are no photos of his family anywhere. I once asked him why do you not have a photo of us in your office? And he said, it shows weakness when people come. (laughs) It shows you have a vulnerable spot. (laughs) Um, So so there were two real defining moments on that afternoon on that walk. We're walking down the street. We're in New York. And a man is walking towards us. And my dad says to me and my brother, "Uh, okay, if that man tries to shake my hand, I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to shake your hand. And then we're going to keep walking. Okay. And then we walk, and this guy, and they look at each other, and they snub each other, and they keep walking. And we were like, what was that? And he said, he did something unethical on a deal, and then he tried to accuse my side of doing the unethical thing, and I just can't talk to that guy. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah. That he was, like, not going to shake his hand. Because he was very polite. Both my parents are very obsessed with politeness and kindness, and uh, will always qualify Anything with, but, you know, whenever there's a, an emergency, they're a great friend, even though they've just been shitting on them for a half hour. Right. So to know that my dad had a limit and that he would snub this guy was so badass to me. Anyway, we get to the, the office at the uh, NYU Law School after, this, after my dad snubs this uh, f- former colleague. And there's a student or someone arguing with the security guard to let him into the law school building. And my dad has a jacket and tie on. And we're dressed nice because you have, you have to dress nice to walk around New York. It's clearly a student who doesn't have his ID. The guard is not letting him through. And my dad walks right past him up the stairs. And we walk with him. Guard doesn't even blink. And as we get to the top of the stairs, my dad turns around and looks at us and says, the power of dressing well. (laughs) (laughs) At what age are you telling your family? Because I told my family very early on Mm -hmm. that I wanted to be in show business. I mean, and my father is a microbiologist and my mom's a lawyer. and A microbiologist... Uh, is a very small biologist. So he's a biologist. Is that, I need is a, rim that a medical shot. doctor? I need a rim shot there. Uh, so he could have been part of the team that uh, figured out HIV. Yes. And, and you wouldn't have known because you were uh, like I was, thumbing your nose at him. I wasn't thumbing my nose at him, but I was busy, you know, uh, at the Groundlings in the 1980s. And my dad was probably stopping a, a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. And I was working on a character. Uh, and you don't want to call them because then you'll lose your groove. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there was no time to find out what the old man was up to. So there one day may be a statue to my father and how he saved humanity. Yeah. And I'll pass it and someone will point it out to me and I'll be like, huh, what? Oh, that's interesting. Come on, let's go. Yeah. I've got a show downtown. And then quietly you walk back and you go, hey, dad, how about a catch? And then it's a statue. It's a statue. And it, but it comes to life a little bit. Okay. But it can't throw the ball very well because it's a statue and can't move. Yeah, it's a Tin Man situation. But we still try to play a catch. Absolutely. And how does it go? Um, I'm picturing you throw first because it was your idea. Yep. Uh, bang, it goes against the bronze. <laughs> <laughs> and my father says, uh, uh, let's try again. 
I like you. I like you. What? I like you. Say I love you, for God's sakes. Look me in the eye and say I love you. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then people come by and they notice that I'm talking to a statue. Yeah. That I threw a baseball at its chest, put a dent in the bronze. See, this is the problem. People like us, we get talking and then it's just foolishness. Yeah. You know, tomfoolery. Yeah, he was a good guy. He was a really good- uh, <laughs> Tom Tom Foolery? Yeah, I mean, I think he was, um, oh wait, I was thinking of Tom, uh, who did the Tomorrow Show? Uh, Tom- Tom Snyder? Tom Snyder, yes. Oh, I was thinking of Tom Snyder. Oh, yeah. And he, so whenever you hear just Tom, yeah, you go to Tom Snyder. Right, because he hosted the Tomorrow Show. Okay, yes. So where else would my brain go? You're right, you're right. You want to hear a you want to hear a Tom Schneider story I heard from Bobby Caminiti at Saturday Night Live? Yes. Let me uh, set the background for any young people out there listening who don't know. Tom Snyder was the gentleman. <laughs> so much background. To say. Tom Snyder was the gentleman who hosted the Tomorrow Show, which preceded David Letterman's early late night show. It was done on uh, in the studio, I believe, that I worked in and that Letterman worked in Studio Six A. Yeah. Back in the olden days, and uh, he had a really cool kind of weird. It was just him doing interviews. But it was kind of fascinating. Yeah, uh, it was like a uh, a more baritone Dick Cavett. Yes. Yeah, and um, and so people that worked at Saturday Night Live had been uh, alumni of the Tomorrow Show. One of which was Bobby Caminiti. Do you yes, Bobby, Bobby Caminiti. Caminiti. I remember okay. Bobby Caminiti very well. But Bobby Caminiti, who was still at Saturday Night Live. So Bobby Caminiti told me one day uh, I was talking to Simon Rich about Charles Manson uh, over by the coffee machine, <laughs> and uh, Bobby Caminiti strolls by and he hears the words Charles Manson. He goes, "Oh, you talking about Manson? You want to hear about Manson?" And we're like, "Absolutely," because whatever he's going to say is going to be yeah. great. He goes, "When I worked on the Tomorrow Show, we had to go interview Manson at the prison in California. Okay, now the first off." He is short. <laughs> he is short, okay? So the thing, they said, you got to get a box to put on a chair. If he's talking to Tom Snyder, they got to be the same height. So I got to get a box to put on a chair. Now Manson walks in and he walks up to me and he goes, hey, I'm Charlie. And I shake his hand, you know, because he stuck his hand out. Then he walks up to the next guy and he goes, hey, I'm Charlie. And they say, I'm not shaking your hand. You killed people. And I thought, oh my God. He goes around the room. No one else would shake his hand except me, but he had stuck it out. So I shook it. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do? What would you, I mean. I have this fight with Nick Kroll a lot uh, about George W. Bush. Yeah. Or we had this back in the day. I don't hand, have it as much anymore. I'm a handshaker, I have to say. If a hand is presented, I usually shake it pretty quickly. That would be my dominant instinct. It's not on principle for me. It, it, there's no, it's just pure. If uh, I, I said, if Bush, if you turned a corner and Bush was right there and said, hi, pleased to meet you. And this was during uh, the uh, probably 2002, 2003 era. Yeah. Um. And Nick said, no, I wouldn't shake his hand. And I was like, "You, of course you would. It would just be a reflex. And he yeah. said, no, I'd never shake his hand. I was like, I'm gonna, I want to arrange this now. Just get Bush on one corner and Nick coming around and then. Right. And make sure it's the holidays and everyone's in a good spirit and they're both holding presents. And then just make sure that George W. Bush goes, Nick, love the word. And you know that Nick would shake his hand. Nick Crow would and definitely shake his hand. And that's not just you, Nick. That's, that's anyone. That's anyone. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. Charles Manson walks in the room and you've, I mean, first off, you know he's short. So you feel bad for him because you know he's got a complex because he right. had to put a box on the chair so he could sit on the chair and face Tom Snyder. Um, also, to be fair, he got people to kill for him. Yeah, now I just opened a short. whole. I just opened a whole can of worms, and I'm sure some people out there are angry. But uh, you know, you're shaking the hand of a man who commanded murder. Okay, maybe he didn't murder okay, himself, Mr. Bugliosi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the prosecution rests, Conan. You can relax. Uh, you and I both had to. Uh, uh, this started with me saying, "I 
came from this these parents that were very accomplished, and I remember telling them, hey, guys, I need to take tap dancing lessons because that's you need to know how to tap dance to be in show business. And I, as I was saying this, <laughs> tap dancing had been dead for 15 years. But that was my idea of being in show business. And I remember my parents thinking, uh, this poor, sad kid, there's something wrong with him. They did get me tap dancing lessons. And many years later, I did get into show business, but it seemed like a crazy notion when you... T- your parents knew that this was something. Oh you yeah, to yeah, do. and 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 so when I moved to New York uh, at age uh, twenty one, and said I'm going to pursue this, and they acted at all surprised. Uh, I thought, you know, you've had like a, you've had since I was four to digest this. No, I wanted the same thing. I wanted show business as I saw it, but I saw it for the first time. I'd say on I Love Lucy, and I wanted Ricky Ricardo's life. Yes, which was you're at the apartment all day, and you kind of thumb through a magazine. And you have the show that night, and then you go do the show, and the show is at a nightclub, and then you have your whole day free. Right. And I wanted that so badly. And your best friend is the superintendent of the building. Yeah, your only friend, maybe. <laughs> but I bet he had a whole squad. I bet he hung out with the band, right? Yeah, yeah. They were all so. Cuban. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there were like lots of, you know, lunches with the whole band we never saw. Uh, they filmed them. I'm sure they filmed them, but they, uh, they were cut. So... I wanted to be like Ricky Ricardo. I took drum lessons and I took conga lessons mm-hmm. uh, in order to be perhaps a mambo band leader. And You really took conga lessons. I wanted to learn uh, on a drum kit. So I took drum kit lessons with a guy named Leo Murphy who plays in like, uh, he plays in orchestras and he would play in, uh, when, in, when musicals would come to Chicago, he'd be in the orchestra a bit often. So uh, I took drum kit lessons from him, but I also was... Uh, taking maybe 10 minutes we do on conga drum lessons. I couldn't sell my parents on pure conga, but drum kit lessons, they said, was fine. So you announced to them- And when I say my parents, I mean my mom, because my dad was not around for these conversations. Yeah, he was off tie shopping. (laughs) Yeah. Because you've always seemed to me to be very confident, like you just knew, you knew exactly what you wanted to do. You had a precise idea of what you wanted to do in comedy. Yeah, to a degree that makes me a little uncomfortable. Let's talk about that then. Well, it's funny to want to do something since you're four and then do it and then have these like fantasies where it goes well and have like are these like superlatives in your head and you think, ooh, you know, that'd be great if they said that. And if you to, to be fortunate enough to have some success and then you're like 37 and you're like, oh, I have no other interests and no hobbies. And now this is my job. And it's a wonderful job. But I've only had one thing on my brain since I was four. Yeah. And that's, it makes downtime a little odd. Yes. I can very much relate to that. Comedy used to be my escape. And then when it became my job, I come home and my wife always wants to watch funny things. And I always want to watch the Russians turn back the Germans uh, on the Eastern Front yeah. In a documentary, uh-huh. I want to watch something where there's been a murder and they're trying to figure it out. Lives have been shattered and people are processing the pain. Yep. I want to watch, uh, you know, something about the uh, the czars and uh, Russia and uh, I, Again, Russia? Okay. Again, Russia. I, anything where there's a lot of uh, movement of troops and pain. That's yeah. what calms me. I wouldn't say that comedy is my job and therefore I don't like it. When I'm doing comedy, I love it. Yep. It's the time in between when it's like, the thing I do is uh, comedy that uh, 
I don't want to consume it. But when I'm actually performing and writing and stuff, I'm having a ball. Then you're happy. Yes. It's kind of in the in-between things. It's like on a phone call about marketing and, and, and poster layout, that's when I go like, I wish there was some way to uh, escape this frustration. And it, it, that's when I go like, well, your job is creating those escapes for other people. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. You know, Scotty's cares about the environment and has strong values they stand behind. Plus, Scotty's facial tissues are super soft, strong and absorbent and easy on the wallet. Whether you've got allergies or just a case of the sniffles, stock up on Scotty's facial tissues so you can stop wiping your nose on your sleeve. Isn't that disgusting when people do that, Sona? I just don't like that. No, I don't like it either. I like I like to wipe my nose on your sleeve, oh, but that's... not my sleeve. Yeah. Well, my sleeve is made of Scotty's tissues, so that's a... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. That's a very cool fashion statement. <laughs> hey, and stop offering guests toilet paper to blow their nose into. That's disgusting. Hand them a Scotty's facial tissue. Instead, you can find Scotty's facial tissues that come in beautiful box designs. Put one in every room. Why not make your guest feel like a king or queen? Hmm. If someone offers me a tissue, sometimes people say to me, Conan, would you like a tissue? I say, is it Scotty's? And if it's not, I just swat it away. Oh, okay. Scotty's is better at what counts. For more information, visit scottysfacial.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on oh, this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. Yeah. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not oh. with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm-hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah. And we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I Then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. We're back. How'd you like the break? Uh, It was pretty good. It was a nice break. Did I have to run around the whole block? (laughs) <laughs> it's good for you it's not it's something i have all the guests do uh, you know i smoke and you did it anyway <laughs> are you a heavy smoker um no but i am embarrassed to say i still smoke from time to time right do you i don't smoke ever no, i never smoke no my dad's doctor and I, I i i know your dad's a doctor i also know that it is not good for you i don't know why i do it well, there's a lot of things we do that we know aren't good for us. But this one's really bad. Like, <laughs> absolutely no. Even like red wine, people are like, have one glass a day and you'll prevent heart attacks and increase libido. And uh, there's nothing, not, there's never been a plus to cigarettes. There was, for a while in the 50s and 60s, they were saying- Oh, that it would give you a boost in your T-zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, were, they tried it for a little bit and then basically they said, no, it will kill you and kill you quickly. I, it's been a long, long time that they've been- saying it will kill you. Right. I was born probably 30 years after that was an established fact. Right. And uh, I had two today. Well, you can you can slowly taper it back. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I have been. And uh, I, I started smoking when I was probably like 13, 14. If oh, you, if, wow. If that, really, is, that is really If young. we're really talking about like having a cigarette like once a month. Yeah. That's probably when I started. Wow. To start at 13 or 14. Eighth grade, yep. freshman year. Yeah. Wow. Freshman year, maybe one a day sometimes. Right. Yeah. Would you make it last for a long time? Would you put it out every two seconds and then relight it later? I must have made it last, or they were longer back then. Did you carry it around like a hobo? You know the way sometimes they always have- A shorty? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they take it out, and they put it on a little toothpick, and they relight it. Did you do that? No, but I, I definitely, uh, I would definitely pull a cigarette from an ashtray uh, that I assumed was mine uh, in a car and, and, and light Here's it. what I'm envious of. I love all the accoutrement. That comes with smoking. Yes. I would love to, if they invented a cigarette Ugh. that was, wouldn't kill you, was perfectly like healthy. Like corn silk and plays when yes. people smoke, yeah. Yes, but but also in some way it even had some health benefits. Like it actually, you could inhale calcium or protein, it would go into your body, but it looked huh. like a regular cigarette. I would get the lighter, I would get the the cool case. The cigarette case is really, is really uh, missing. Yeah. When I see old movies- and a, a gentleman takes out of his jacket a cigarette case and flips it open and takes out a cigarette and tamps it down where the filter, yeah. tamps down to get the tobacco compacted and then takes out a really cool lighter yeah. and lights himself that a cigarette owns, yeah. that he owns, that is his yeah. and goes in his pocket of his double-breasted suit. And he doesn't have like a hundred of them around the house. He's got no. like one super He's nice got one and it's always filled with the right liquid. Yeah. I so want to smoke. I so want to be able to smoke in that moment. Why isn't it healthy? Why does it have to be unhealthy? Or why can't the industry, I am talking to you industry, why can't the industry make such a cigarette so that we can enjoy it? 
Why are they always making a cigarette that kills us? Because it wouldn't cross the blood-brain barrier and become uh, addictive. So You're I right. do see their point. Hmm. Yeah, smoking is... Uh, I, gotta, mm, I gotta do something about that, I've been saying, for the last 10 years. Okay, well, I'll help you with it. Oh, yeah. We're friends now. I used yeah. to smoke in 30 Rock in, indoors. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people did. You know what, I have to say, when I was a writer- but This was a long time ago. This was 2009. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a writer on The Simpsons, there was a writer, John Schwartzwelder, and he would just chain smoke in the room while we were working, and it's yeah. a small room, and we're sitting on this shitty furniture, and he'd be chain smoking right next to me and putting his cigarette out in the ashtray that was on the armrest that we shared, and it never, <laughs> occurred to me to say anything. I think I inhaled 800 cubic tons of tar. My death will be on his hands. Yeah. I want the coroner when I die to investigate my lungs. And if in any way uh, John Schwarzwelder's cigarette smoke shortened my life, I want his estate sued. The investigator is going to interview about two or three other Simpsons writers and get so annoyed talking to these people. <laughs> He's going to give up immediately. <laughs> Did you know, Brian, when he worked here? <laughs> Sir, look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. Mr. Gene, Are please. you thinking of alts? Stop thinking of alts and look at me. Did you know an O'Brien? Did he sit next to John Schwarzwelder? <laughs> yeah. You've, uh, you didn't do a lot of time in writer's rooms where it was just hell, did you? Because at you Saturday Night Live, it's different, right? Well, Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night Live our, our rewrite room would be the closest yes, to Yes, the rewrite room is table. the closest thing. But- I uh, had written it Saturday Night Live, and then I had truly only one. You knew you wanted to write there, right? Like that was one of your dreams was to work at Saturday Night Live? Or not Yes. Really? Or am I assuming Well, that? so I didn't know. So I wanted to be like Ricky Ricardo. I started becoming kind of a comedy nerd. Then I slowly realized I lacked certain skills that um, I saw other comedians have, like uh, being uh, like physical comedy or even being uh, in their body at the moment. Uh, I wasn't able to do that. I was like, I had no sense of how to be funny like a John Cleese or something. Right. I remember watching Monty Python and seeing Michael Palin and being very relieved because he's brilliant and hilarious. But I thought, oh, he, I could do that. Right. I, or I could attempt to do that. Right. But I could never be funny the way Bobcat was, the way John Cleese was. Yes. The way countless other people who had a lot more. Their body is a big part of their instrument. Their yeah. body and their, you know, I, th- I felt the same thing working with like Bill, Hader, and Fred yep. and, and Keenan. I thought like, uh, and Kristen, I'm, I'm not going to name the whole cast, but it was the same thing of like, this is fine. Uh, because this is like writing for like Jimi Hendrix or something. Like I, they, uh, I could never do what they're doing. Yes. But I started to identify that when I was younger. Then, ah, then you came along, 93. Yep. And uh, it was great. I don't know what it was like for you, but that first year was so, so, so fun. Was it good for you? And we were having so much fun watching it. I don't know what it was like for you making it, but um, we, the audience, uh, I remember... Uh, being so, I just, I, I went, what the hell is that? To the point that I thought you might've stolen my act. Like yeah. I, I was like, wait a second, that's exactly what I like. And that's exactly the kind of humor my brother and I do. And we were locked in on the show, my brother Chip and I. I remember you had a week where you were going to find Grady from Sanford and Son. Yes. And bring him on the show. Yeah. Uh, and you kept building up to it. And I remember Friday night, uh, I might have been at a friend's house and like maybe going to sleep over or something. And then I realized it was Friday so that this was the night Grady was either going to come on or not. I still remember sprinting down my street in Chicago 
to get home uh, to watch it with my brother at 11.30. And Grady came out with, under huge under huge lights. Yes. Grady, after a I limousine. I think we played Whoop, There It Is. After a limousine pulls up to 30 Rock. Yeah. We had a li- we kept cutting away, I think, to the limousine, bringing Grady from Sanford and Son to the show. And I told my mom, uh, I want to be like Conan O'Brien. And he was a writer, and he uh, worked at the Lampoon, and uh, I want to do that, and then I want to be a writer, and then I want to have a talk show like that. And my mom, all she heard was your alma mater, that, and that's all, uh, that's all she got out of that uh, conversation, was that no, really. I wanted to go where you went, right. to school. Right. And she was very happy about that. The rest of it, I don't think she paid any attention to. Right. Right. She later said, I, I always hoped that you meant you were really <laughs> going to work hard enough <laughs> to get into said school. I remember there was like your third year anniversary. Yep. How uncomfortable is this? Okay, that I'm just no, no. I'm, I'm I'm fascinated because to me, I I, I wish your future self uh-huh. could have come and visited me in '93 and said it's going to be okay because what the stuff you're doing is worthwhile because we we got so much negativity from yeah. everybody and it didn't affect us. We kept going, but it didn't. Uh, well, it 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 didn't stop us from trying to continued to be as weird as we could possibly be and do the things we wanted. That I'm proud of. I don't agree with that. Well, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I I, I prefer not to have gone through that, uh-huh. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. It happened. And it, it, it does happen, it. yeah. And occasionally one names a show after themselves and uh, that can go downhill. <laughs> and uh, listen, kids, if your greatest fear is ever seeing a newspaper say, Mulaney is not funny, don't create a show Called Mulaney. Because <laughs> that's your name. And though they're writing about the show and they're kind of parsing you from the show, it's going to pack a punch. Yeah. I, I don't know what you're like. I am very good at My wife always notices this. Uh, I get compliments and I hermetically seal them. And like in an envelope and go, that's so nice. And I put them away as if yeah. I'll open that later and enjoy it. And Yeah. But I, I she, but she, She's told me you've got to get better at just being grateful when people say nice things, which I've gotten better. At. I don't know what you're like. Yeah, when people then we're come wired up and the say, exact same way. When people say to you, "Oh my God, I, I saw a kid gorgeous," and it's the funniest thing ever. Oh, that, you, thank you. That's very you, nice you to say. Thanks. You say that, and then you just put it away, or can you can you internalize? Uh, Are you able to take it in and soak up the fact that you're making oh, people oh, happy? Oh, you, I, John Mulaney. Yeah, I can I can take it in. I I did learn from when I had my eponymous. Uh, sitcom, which was called Hiroshima, uh, (laughs) (laughs) which was called Mulaney. Uh After that, I, you know, I had always heard this maxim, like, don't, you know, don't listen to the good reviews because then you have to listen to the bad or whatever. And I thought that's true. After that experience, I thought it take in any compliment and enjoy it. Yep. And, and I'd say the final hurdle though, would be to show the person that you've enjoyed the compliment as opposed to looking at my feet. Like, uh, and saying, oh, thank you. Oh, that's nice of you to even watch it, you know. Uh, right. But that's probably never going to go away. Well, I have to say, uh, you know, I had been watching your stand-up and then I, and we had gotten to know each other and you had done stand-up on my show and I was a big fan of yours. And then I went downtown with my wife and saw Kid Gorgeous. Uh, and my wife, uh, Liza, was saying... I haven't heard you laugh like that in memory. And I was so happy. And then I had this weird feeling watching you do that show of, I want to be doing what he's doing. And <laughs> my, 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 it's so funny because I wasn't, I really meant it. I was like, 
I would like to do that. I would like to get up on stage and because the kind of your your sense of humor uh, uh, is I, I love it so much, and I love how um, universal it is. I love that it's not a, you're not ripping stuff from the day's headlines. Not that I have anything necessarily against that, but it's just not my cup of tea. And the most political you get when you talk about Trump is saying he's like a horse in the hospital. And I was like, oh my God, that is my favorite uh, kind of political humor. And I think actually the and hardest And the only to do. time I've ever had a take that was, I think, good in the moment on something happening in the moment. Yes, yes. right. But I mean, that will that that will endure and also probably could be said about future presidents because this isn't, Trump is just the beginning in my opinion. <laughs> We're going to have more horses in the hospital. Yeah, you look uh, back now and, and Nixon, Nixon was like a bad doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bad doctor. <laughs> he was a doctor. Yeah, but yeah. at least he had, yeah, he there had at least gone around, to medical yeah, school. He had gone to he, a medical school. He knew some of the jargon. Yeah. Um, no, I- uh, was was watching it and I was kept saying to my wife afterwards, I was kind of keyed up and I was just like, I just, uh, that's so great what John's doing. And I was, I, I, I just, and to do that in a theater, it's so great. And she was saying, well, you know, you've done things kind of like that. And I was like, be, I want to be that person in this moment. So oh, th- I that think was, that all the time when I see, I saw Ali Wong at town hall and I thought, I wish I could do that. You know, it's like, oh, I want to be a comedian. I think that all the time when I see comedians. Oh, I want to be a comedian. I always love the idea of um, there's so much stuff in show business that you would think would be great. And then it really is great, which is when you do a show, we'll say it's before the show and you check into your hotel Mm -hmm. and you realize that because you're doing a show, you're not really paying for this hotel. Mm -hmm. And you go up to your room and then it's time to go down and go to the theater mm-hmm. and check out the acoustics and mm-hmm. check out the sound. <laughs> and sometimes if I'm working with the band and there's a band there and I get to play a few tunes with them and and then, uh, okay, they're going to load the audience in and you got to go downstairs. And there's just, I absolutely love all of it. I yeah. love being in old theaters. I love weird pipes in the bathroom. And ask. I always ask the uh, stage managers there, like haunted, right? Yeah, and they go, yeah. And right. I go, what? Who's the ghost? And they'll tell you, you know, uh, the Midlands Theater in Kansas City or the Moore Theater in Seattle. Uh, there's different ghosts at each one, and they know who the ghost is. You know, right? Well, uh, Midlands Theater, they said there's a janitor, and an anarchist set off a bomb in the lobby in 1910, and the janitor died. And I said, so you see the janitor's ghost? They go, yeah. I go, what's he doing? They go, he's normally sweeping up in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> For all eternity. For all eternity. Still, doing his. <laughs> still punching in. <laughs> I have to say, um, the life I have, at, if I could maintain what I'm doing now, which is doing stand-up and doing some small other parts and, and contributing to different shows uh, and then occasionally making something like Oh, hello with Nick Kroll or this children's special I just did like that. The ability to have like uh, to kind of curate little things and yes. be doing stand up. I have to say I have zero complaints about the schedule, lifestyle, everything. This, I, if I could maintain what I have, it'd be great because this has been fantastic. I agree 100%. I've had some people say to me, when do you think you might wrap it up? And what I, my own most honest answer is I like to make stuff. Yeah. I like to make stuff. And 
as long as I get to keep making things, I don't see a reason to say, well, farewell, America. Yeah. It's been a fine relationship, but now this soldier needs to fade away. Or be an entertainer that announces their retirement. Right. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. And then is normally well, back I always find it's, in three years. Yeah, I always find it to be uh, hysterical uh, and, and very, uh, there's an egotistical air to, well, America. Yeah. I know, like, no, Conan. Uh, ladies and gentlemen American. of the press, <laughs> there comes a time where every champion must leave the ring. One, one reporter. One reporter from Kids News. I want to keep, uh, I want to call a press conference every day until, at first, you know I get a couple of reporters to come. Yep. But every day make a big announcement and then... Over time, you wouldn't get anybody to come. Yes. Yeah. And, and and I would just announce Conan O'Brien's got a big statement again tomorrow. I think one thing that I find generationally uh, difficult, and, and I don't mean to say that I'm not pleased that uh, terrible people are uh, revealed um, and that their actions are made public and that they are disgraced, but when it's done on social media, I generationally miss that moment where that person had to do a press conference, yes. which used to always happen. Right. And the question was, would, would his a significant other stand next to him or not? Right. And that was often focused on. But um, it was just, I mean, when someone had really done something uh, terrible, they had to come out to so many flashbulbs and then say, earlier today, I uh, discussed with my fellow friends that I have acted in a manner not, and it's just like, it was this weird thing where yeah, like yeah, yeah. an alpha was like now going to cry and you're like, yeah, yeah. you're going to cry in your suit in front of the cameras, you idiot. <laughs> you're such an asshole to people. Yeah, but now that has been replaced. First of all, now no one admits to anything. Screw you, I didn't do it. And then other people, or, or it's, it's a, a written tweet. statement. It's a written Get statement. Get out in front of the cameras. Yeah. Have a, have a lectern at a Hyatt hotel. Do it Don King style. Right. I let others down, but mostly... I let myself down. Yeah, because that's, that's what line. we're concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're worried about you letting yourself down. Uh, tell me qu th this, because you've been told me over the phone, this show with the kids sounds really fun. The youngsters. The uh, yeah, this is a, a special coming out on Christmas Eve on Netflix, and it's called John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. And uh, it is me with about 15 kids, ages 8 to 13. And um, we kind of hang out in a... Sesame Street like clubhouse. It's uh, kind of like an urban garden in between, you know, it's all a set yep. in between two buildings. Has that feel that Sesame Street did of like somewhere in New York, maybe? Um, and is there a studio audience? No, no. Okay, okay. Uh, and from there, we have uh, a lot of songs uh, about uh, anxieties and fear and. Uh, there's huge uh, kind of Broadway scale numbers. Uh, there's small cameos from beloved people. There's um, show-stopping cameos from people. Um, and there's lots of uh, little interviews along the way with the kids to learn about them. I cannot explain it well, and I never could pitch it well. Um, and I couldn't sometimes discuss even with my collaborators exactly what I was picturing. But it is now done and it is coming out. And you're and happy with it. I am more happy with it than I have been with anything I've ever done. Oh, wow. I, That's fantastic. I hope it goes well. I hope people watch it. But the actual experience of making it was so rewarding, I can't overstate it. I had never done something where I knew in my head what it was going to look and sound like. And I couldn't explain it, except for that I knew what it was going to be. 
Right. And Reese Thomas, our director, and Marika Sawyer, who uh, wrote it with me. I, this was not just me alone. She and I uh, co-wrote lyrics and the sketches and the interactions we had with kids. Then we have these interviews with them where the kids just speak themselves. They're not scripted. But we all kind of eventually got into my headspace of like, yeah, I wouldn't know how to sum this up either. But to pull it off when there were moments that I thought like, am I insane? Like, is the fact that I can't describe this a problem? Um, to do that uh, really felt good. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out when? December 24th on Netflix, Christmas Eve. Okay. And Netflix is a... It's channel 32. Oh, good. Thank you. Unless you're in Boston, it's channel nine. Channel nine, okay. And in Chicago, it's channel four. Oh, channel, channel four, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And if you're in St. Louis, it's also channel four because you get Chicago. Uh, that, that's that's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Netflix is a former DVD mail order business, which has now taken over the world. Okay. I'm writing this down. They used to mail DVDs to people. I remember And that. we would not return them. No. And then they said, what if we took over the world? <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest business And they plan. did, yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to wrap this up because you've been uh, very nice to come in on a Sunday. Did I go on too many tangents and did no. you get the answers you needed? I don't know that I was looking for anything other than your companionship, a nice chat, I thought we, uh, seriously, I thought we had a, a nice time. I think when you started off, you were saying we had something similar in that we're from a different time. I, I can't extricate myself from your persona <laughs> to some degree. It, it was right. in 11 years old. It got in under the garage door before right. it closed. Great. And it's in there. That's good. So I can sue you for somehow. St- oh. Right? See? Oh. See? Oh, okay. See? You know, Don Henley warned me about this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ever see the Eagles documentary? Yes, Were they, twice. Okay, well, yeah, I watched it twice too. One, the second time I was sitting on the floor and my wife came home and went, oh my God, yep. this again? It's a great documentary. The best part is when things get litigious, <laughs> Don Henley and Glenn Fry switch to Mr. Felder <laughs> as opposed to Don Felder. Yes. They're like, well, if Mr. Felder is like, oh, you're you're so you're so litigious yes. and so used to depositions yes. that you know exactly the language to use. And uh, yeah. uh, I I love it. I love I love suing and I love <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so funny to yeah, me yeah, yeah. to sue to sue someone, the aggression, the aggression and the like uh the pure wimpiness of it at yes. the same time. Yeah, yeah. You'll be receiving a summons <laughs> and you'll be receiving a cease and desist. It's like you're calling your attorney and they're writing a letter and it's done with all this like aggro bravado. Why don't you do that? And I'll sue your ass. And you'll get a and I'll sue you for breach. Yeah. And you'll get a cease and desist. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> You're threatening them with like paperwork. Yep. Maybe one awkward videotape deposition. <laughs> it's the sad world we live in. Oh, it's fun though. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, you're one of those people who I hope does this again sometime. I know doing it at once is enough for anybody, but- No, I do. But there's so much to talk about with you and uh, so happy that you- you were able to sit down. I know you're a busy fellow, but this is just great. I'm free all day, and I uh, really enjoyed this. This made my Sunday. Uh, in lieu of church, which I haven't been to in about 20 years, <laughs> this was uh, this was a wonderful way to spend a Sunday. All right. Uh, Sunday in the park, because we're right near Bryant Park, not with George, Mr. Sondheim, but with Conan. And now a message from Serta. Worst ending ever. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> 
it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it it down I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking play. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. This is unbelievable. I've been talking about this idea for years. I know. I want you to explain it more. I can. Okay. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. I had this idea years ago. (laughs) I was telling people no one listened to me. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Because you've got one unified, unified business, business management, management suite. suite. You yes. said that. Yeah. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, man. Yeah. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Conan, netsuite.com slash Conan. I'm going to say it one more time just for emphasis, netsuite.com slash Conan. In the intro to this very episode, we were talking about the film Goonies, mm-hmm. and um, I think I called him Chester cobble pot or something and you guys said one-eyed willie was the um pirate in goonies and you're right but chester copper pot is the old like treasure hunter the in that explorer, movie or the bones yeah and oswald chesterfield cobble pot is the penguin <laughs> and then of course there's the president chester a arthur so i just thought we ought to understand who all those people are that's important yeah i hope you like this new segment clearing up shit no one cares about <laughs> Um, I knew this would work. No, no, no. No, this is, this is great. What a good use of time in an era when our civilization hangs in the balance. <laughs> what? It's cobble pot, it's copper pot, and it's Chester A. Arthur. Tune in next week <laughs> when we try to decide if uh, Peanut really is a legume. I just knew that the internet was going to go crazy with corrections. Or, I don't th- or, yeah. 
not read the internet. Oh, I, I took it off for uh, the holidays. I'm not on. You're not going to be, you're not on the, you no. know, for the, is really you turn off the internet for the whole holidays? <laughs> for everyone. No, for me, I'm off social media. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's wonderful. You must get a lot of angry stuff, right? What do you what? mean by that? Well, just a lot of people that are like, hey, I like it when Conan talks, but then when you jump in with something, I become enraged. Mm. Do you not ever get that? I'm at Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Because <laughs> I send you those messages all the time. <laughs> yeah, I get them from you. Conan's smooth jazz-like voice is soothing. <laughs> I think anytime anyone talks about the Goonies, it's just a waste of life. Come on. <laughs> oh, here we Come go. This on. is the real crux of the matter. It's beloved. And you know that. For reasons that escape me. You're it's being a, movie, a troll. It's a movie where all the kids just speak at the same time. <laughs> and it's annoying. They like all, this podcast. They all talk over each other. And I know that that was the idea because someone said, but also, let me ask you this. Don't kids know the word treasure or gold? What are you talking about? Because in the in in the Goonies, they they say rich stuff. Ugh. We've got to find the rich oh, stuff. Yeah. No, that's an adult trying to sound like a kid and fucking up. It's just gold or treasure. Kids know those words. This You're is interesting because we we talk about this as a generational divide, and you guys are clearly on one side. I'm right in the middle. Huh. No, Goonies for Sona is her Citizen Kane. It is <laughs> Come her. On. No, it is. It's your on Golden Pond. It's your Gandhi. It's your movie that you know it's it's your titanic it's your i mean it's it's the movie that moves you more than any other movie or and it's a movie everyone just generally loves not it, everybody you're comparing it to like cinematic achievements to just make me look like an asshole i feel like <laughs> you're no. just more you're because i'm not saying it's citizen kane i'm saying it's it's fun and it's, it's i love it and i think that for a lot of people they love it well uh i know the movie did well because uh, it generated a lot of rich stuff. Oh my God. Oh, you know what? Invested oh in it. Oh boy. <laughs> hey, Sona, I come down on your side. Thank you. I was 12 when this thing There's came There's a out. shock. Oh. Oh, <laughs> well, you, so much bitterness. So let me guess. I'm trying to picture it. You walked into the, you were 12, so you were wearing a little sailor suit. Yeah. And you had a giant lollipop. I did. And your mother, Winifred, was holding you. Welford. Welford. Was holding your hand. Yeah. And you said, Mither. <laughs> You took me to the motion pictures, and I thank thee. I thank thee. And she said, now sit down. May I have some candied corn? Please just sit down. We're going to watch this movie, Goonies, and we're going to enjoy it. Yes, mother. You started wearing long pants when you were 18, remember? You graduated to big boy pants. It was oh a God. big day for you. Oh you suck. Uh, I blow. Yeah. I just, let, let's just admit it. Well, you started this... By intensely trying to bait me with that cobble pot, copper pot. I wasn't trying to bait you. I think you were. I was trying were. to open up a conversation. Not everything's in a front, Patton. <laughs> a world at war. <laughs> and I'm an in it. God will stand for it. Patton. I don't think your stance on Goonies is a popular stance. No. Especially no. among your audience, because your young audience skews younger. So right. I think you should just start liking the Goonies. Okay. And say that the earth is flat. Come on. Are you a flat earther, Sona? No, I'm not a flat earther. Flat earthers are dumb. They're dumb people. Okay. If you're listening to this and you're a flat earther, you're dumb as fuck. Jesus. Sona, that's half our audience. We did the, res <laughs> the research just came in. We our audience trash. are people that love the Goonies and think that right around where Arizona is, the world ends. <laughs> just drops off. <laughs> did you enjoy any kids' movies that were made for kids? Hmm. 
look at you searching for joy and it's just not there. I'm looking for joy. I'm, I'm walking through the caverns of my mind looking for joy. Oh but each room is just filled with coal. <laughs> Jesus just, Christ. And not even shards of coal that would burn very well. Not big plump pieces of coal, just little broken pieces of coal. Wait, here's a room. Let me look in this room. Hmm. There's no joy in here. Oh, man. I when I was 12, oh, God. and my parents are going to hate that I'm saying this, my parents- Was this before you came to America? Okay. Uh, my parents took me to see Pulp Fiction, which was a huge mistake. Wow. Yeah. They thought it was just cursing, which they were like, that's ah, fine. You could listen to some curse words. And then, uh, no, there was a lot more than yeah. curse words. Yeah. The gimp scene, the, the you know, drugs- Mm. A lot of drugs. I mean, it's not a movie for a 12-year-old. What were your parents thinking? I don't know. I have no idea. It was one of the most uncomfortable <laughs> days of my life. Wow. Did it ruin the movie for you? Can you watch it now and enjoy it? Yeah, I can. I can. Yeah. Uh, just my dad yelling in, in full volume in the theater, Son, are you closing your eyes? Uh, <laughs> I just picture your dad. Your dad just has... panicking. <laughs> Your dad has this big mustache. Sona, close your eyes. This is such panic. It was really funny. My mother took us to see Jaws. I recently did the math. She took us to see Jaws. And okay, so I did the math. I think I'm like 12 when Jaws comes out or you know something like that. But she took my sister. I remember our sister Jane was with us. And Jane's quite a bit younger. So Jane would have been like eight or nine. <laughs> and I remember Jane just crying and crying. Mm. And and I th and I just remembered that recently, and yeah. I was thinking, what the hell was that? <laughs> My mom's a smart woman. What was she thinking? What was she thinking? I don't know. And I remember the scene where they're underwater, and Richard Dreyfus is looking in the boat that sank, and he oh, sticks yeah, his head yeah, through yeah. the hole in the boat, and the head pops out. Jane shrieked and was crying inconsolably. Yeah. And I'm thinking, my Jane, my sister Jane shouldn't have been there. And I'm I, I, I want to. Welfare, child welfare. What are they called? Child <laughs> Department services? of Child Services. Child Services. I want them to go visit my mother now. <laughs> I want them to go now and say, hello, Mrs. O'Brien. Yes, yes. May I come in? Yes. You're under arrest. <laughs> what? We just listened to Conan's podcast. <laughs> Conan's not the good one. No, no. He's not Luke and he's not Neil. And he's not Justin. He's the bad one. You want your mother arrested. I want my mother arrested for taking Jane to see Jaws. Okay. <laughs> Did you and ever I, think you could walk Jane out of the theater into the lobby? I could wait. What's that? You could have walked her out into the lobby. I missed some of Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, no. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. With Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.
This is Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast, the promo, and in 30 seconds, I'm going to tell you why you should check out the show. I, the host Scott Augerman, have a lighthearted conversation with famous celebrities like John Hamm, Allison Williams, Phoebe Bridgers, Bob Odenkirk, just to name a few. Things go a little off the rails when different eccentric characters drop by to be interviewed as well. Each week is a blend of conversations and character work from your favorite comedians as well as some new hilarious voices. Comedy Bang Bang, the podcast. Listen every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.